mean, if you can afford to not work while you're learning to code, you're going to learn faster and you're going to have more time to dedicate to it. But as long as you're motivated and you're willing to give up for the short term, maybe some of your free time and things outside of work, then it's definitely doable. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. This is a weekly show where one week I interview a recently hired junior developer and then the next week an industry expert like a hiring manager, recruiter or senior developer so that you can learn how to get into tech from both sides. I'm your host, Alex Booker, and today I'm joined by Jess Gilbert, a primary school teacher turned developer from the UK. After working in the classroom for five years, Jess found herself at the brink of a burnout and therefore faced with a tough decision. Does she continue her passion for teaching and mentoring young students, often working evenings and weekends to prepare for lessons as parts of an inefficient school system that doesn't value teachers enough? Or does she prioritize her mental health, self-actualization and overall happiness to find a new career even if that means taking a pay cut initially. Coding never really crossed Jess's mind, she told me. Understandably, she assumed it was really sciencey or mathematical. That is, until she saw an advert for an inclusive coding bootcamp. There, she trudged through the basics of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, impressively while also working full-time as a teacher. Today, Jess is working a remote-first junior developer job at Sky Betting and Gaming, where she actually interviewed before learning to code. How is that possible? You'll have to continue listening right here on the Scrimba podcast to find out. Here's Jess. I don't think I'd ever considered a career in tech or coding even remotely possible for me. That, I guess, started from school and continued throughout my college and university years, all the way through until I began my career as a teacher. I kind of had no idea about the tech world. I didn't take any sciences or maths beyond high school level. And then kind of that really limited my choices when I went to apply for university any kind of computer science degree, even if I was considering, I guess at that point, it wasn't really an option. So from there, I went on to a degree in education with a master's in teaching. And that's how I ended up kind of initially as a primary teacher, which I worked for the last five years as. It was kind of getting to the point, I guess, in that career that I was feeling quite burnt out. I was a bit disillusioned with the the education system at that point. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the UK, but certainly in Scotland, it was a kind of stressful job and a kind of sad state of affairs. So Yeah, it's not great, is it? No, it's not. (laughs) I'm kind of glad to be on the other side of it now and looking back, but you do really feel for all the people that are still sticking it out as teachers. What made you want to learn to code specifically? At the point where I decided to leave teaching, I was kind of looking for jobs that I could go into with the skills that I already had. That proved really difficult. I was looking at kind of jobs in universities and colleges, other kind of branches of education, I guess, but not teaching directly. It was at that point that I saw one an advert for the Code for Skittles data and SQL course. I thought if I did it, it might help with some of the kind of more admin based roles that I'd been applying for. 
at the university. I still, at that point, didn't believe that it would lead me to wanting to learn to code. <laughs> but I did it anyway. I enjoyed it. That was an eight-week course, so like a kind of introduction. And following on from that, I got an email from Code First Girls offering their degree. And to be honest, I like immediately discounted it because I'd seen previously how expensive coding boot camps can be. And I was like, I can't afford to give up my full-time job. I can't afford to, to pay for the course. I just kind of ignored the email, <laughs> which... Probably wasn't the best idea, but your immediate reaction, I guess, is, well, that's not for me. I don't necessarily have the time to do that or the finances to do that. So it wasn't something that I was kind of immediately jumped on. It was only once I kind of looked into Code First Girls a bit more, having done one of their introductory courses, that I realised that the degree course that they offered, the 14-week one, was free. And it was also part-time, so I could do it in the evenings like whilst still teaching full-time, which was tough. Are the courses a little bit like what you might find on, I don't know, LinkedIn Learning or Udemy or something where you kind of watch videos at your own pace or are there sessions you engage with on Zoom or something every evening? That's what kind of I quite liked about the course because I felt like I needed that if I was doing it alongside full-time work, I needed that kind of discipline. So the structure of the course was Monday to Thursday, two hours each evening. And it was like Zoom kind of lectures, I guess. So we had two instructors and a, an assistant instructor who led the course each evening. And it was interactive, I guess, in the sense that we would have maybe an input from one of the course instructors. And then we might have some time either in groups or on our own to maybe work on something and we also had homework and small projects to hand in at the end of each week which was quite good I guess to summarise what we'd learned each week but it was very fast paced and we, I did the full stack web development one so there was quite a lot covered in the 14 weeks so it did require a lot of like self-study after the zoom calls were finished each evening you've not only done a master's but your master's was in teaching and then you went on to work as a teacher how did you find this experience learning to code online at your own pace yeah it was definitely challenging i think it was very different to anything that i'd done before especially when we got to the algorithms <laughs> that was something that i initially i kind of struggled with i guess i hadn't done anything like that throughout my degree there wasn't any kind of science or maths aspect but there was aspects of it that I really enjoyed, like the more kind of front end development. And as part of the 14 week degree or boot camp, we got to do like a group project. So that was a React app that we were going to build for that. And I think that aspect of it gave maybe more of like a realistic sense of the kind of job that we would be going into at the end of it, which I thought was good as well to have that balance of the kind of theory and the small parts of the kind of computer science, I guess, that would feature in computer science degrees, but also giving us the opportunity to practice the practical skills in a group setting as well. Looking back at it, do you think you needed to be as worried as maybe you felt? Because I get it. If you haven't done any of this stuff before and you haven't seen people like you necessarily doing this stuff before, uh, whether that's previous teachers and frankly, it's a very male dominated industry as well, it can kind of reduce your confidence. So what do you think looking back? Do you need to know science and maths and computing to learn to code? 
No, definitely not. I think my eyes have been kind of open to that, I guess, now that I'm in the industry. I think coming from like a very female dominated industry and teaching, we didn't have any males in our kind of staff. A predominantly male dominated industry is very different, but within like the role that I'm working in now, I've been made to feel really welcome. I've been supported. I feel people in tech are much more willing to help and to kind of share their knowledge. And they're quite happy to have like someone who's new to coding on board as long as you're keen to learn and you show kind of curiosity and willingness to take on board advice I found that the tech industry is actually really it can be such a welcoming helpful place to learn sometimes I I forget this because I I'm lucky to have started my career in tech and frankly the one of the things that drew me to tech is that the learning was accessible I could learn to code on on YouTube for example But often when I speak to people who've transitioned careers, they point out how community focused and collaborative software development is. But not only that, people don't really gatekeep and they're actually quite proactive about helping people who want to help themselves. For sure, yeah. That's something that I've noticed a huge difference. I mean, in teaching it, it can be quite a lonely job, I guess, because it's just you're the only adult in the class for the majority of the day. It's not really a collaborative job. At the end of the day, you do feel maybe the only chance you get to speak to your colleagues is maybe to moan about something. It's not always a positive interaction. It's maybe just to de-stress about the day or talk about something that's happened in the tech community. There's much more opportunities for kind of collaboration and people are really willing to help if you reach out online. There's so many great communities on there where it's much more, it feels much more acceptable as someone new coming into the industry to ask for help. No one kind of gatekeeps information, which is always good when you're trying to learn something new. I like what you say really, because software is always evolving. So there's this implicit assumption that we as developers always have to get better, but often developers are quite excited about new technologies, novel ideas, I have no insight as to what it's like as a teacher, but um, especially it being such a demanding job, I can imagine it's a hard space to really think about personal development, professional development in the same way. Yeah, for sure. Teachers can be really reluctant to change and like kind of resistant to change because it's often viewed that change is just like an additional item added to the workload that already exists. It's that kind of feeling of, well, we're already not managing with the workload that we have at the moment. Why would we want anything to change or why would we want to spend any additional time like on our own development because we already have so much to do whereas I feel like since moving into tech and having a job as a developer I'm actually excited for the first time in my kind of professional career about learning new things and you feel like you actually want to spend time outside of work at the moment I'm still really learning so I feel like I enjoy in the evening kind of still working on courses still working on my own projects just to try and improve all the time because when you're in that kind of community you feel more motivated to do that coming up how jess switched careers in less than a year i have deployed some code to our live site which is really exciting and what did that do to her work-life balance you might have that light bulb moment sitting watching the tv at night and you maybe make a little note of it to go back to but first let's take a look at some of your social media posts about our podcast Hi, I'm Jan, the producer, and every week I go through posts on Twitter or LinkedIn, sometimes Facebook, sometimes your reviews on iTunes, and I give some of you a shout out. 
On LinkedIn, Rachel Dooley shared the book, The Tech Resume Inside Out by Gergay Oros, who, of course, was our guest on the show and wrote, Heard about this book on the Scramble podcast and I'm looking forward to reading it. As a career changer looking to break into tech, I can certainly use all the help I can get when it comes to writing a solid resume and cover letter. One of my favorite points that he makes in the podcast is when he says, A resume is a sales tool. The goal of your resume is to get that call from the recruiter. While that might seem obvious, I think it's easy to forget about that when you're trying to have all the right metrics and verbiage in every section. Sometimes you need to take a step back and look at the big picture. Can't wait to read the book for more resume tips. Rachel, please share more takeaways. And for everybody interested, I'm linking the episode with Gergay in the show notes. And on Twitter, Anthony Nanfito wrote, This morning, I listened to the episode of the Scramble podcast featuring Katrina Tucker. Here are my takeaways. The language you use affects how you think about your journey, breaking into tech versus entering or transitioning into tech. Be intentional. The intention you put in affects how it'll be received. And business is about solving problems. How can your skills, both tech and non-tech, help contribute to the solution? I'm really enjoying how this podcast interviews both newly transitioned devs and seasoned devs. It's great to hear both perspectives about transitioning into the field. If you're looking to get into tech and haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. Anthony, thank you so much. And if you've missed the episode with Katrina, I'm also going to link it in the show notes. If you would like a shout out, just join the conversation and share your learnings. If you're on Twitter or on LinkedIn, and if your post contains the words Scrimba podcast, I will probably find it. And if you're feeling super supportive you can also leave us a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice i've already seen a new itunes review i think that i'm going to feature next week but for now we're back to the interview with jess maybe you can tell us a bit more about code first girls how does it work so it's really interesting i think the way that they do it code first girls are a charitable organization so they provide education for women and non-binary people for free The way that they're able to do this is that they secure sponsorship from companies, I guess, who are looking to improve diversity within their workforce. So I think they obviously receive payments from these companies to train women up to kind of fill positions within their companies. So when you apply for the degree at first, you're asked to apply via two companies. So you get two choices, like your first choice and your second, and you kind of submit an application to them. You do a video interview and then you have a a company interview before you secure a place on the degree. So I guess it's actually quite interesting in a sense because I know like a lot of other self-taught developers do like a boot camp where they self-teach and then they go on to like apply for jobs. Whereas with Code for Skittles, it's a little bit different in the sense that you actually interview and secure the job with your company before you even start the bootcamp, which is quite an interesting way to do it, I feel, because they're not basing it on any of your technical skills. They're just basing it on, I guess, how motivated you are to learn and your soft skills, which I guess are really important. In your case, it was sky betting and gaming. So if I understood right, before you even started the Code First Girls course, the full Slack one, you had an opportunity to interview with sky betting and gaming where they could assess you probably not on your coding skills since you're brand new but probably the fact you'd done the data course at this point was in the plus column but nevertheless it was really more about your 
potential and determination to learn? Yeah, I think so. I guess it's just that they were willing to take a chance on me based on my existing skills and motivations. So I found that the interview I did with them, it was definitely based more around soft skills and how my values aligned with their values and how good a fit you would be for the company. I think at Sky Betting Gaming, they have a huge focus on people and how everyone fits and works together. And I think for me, it was, I guess, how I connected with the people that interviewed me and the skills that I brought from teaching, I felt it was really nice that they were able to value that because I've had a lot of interviews in the past where I felt like the interviewers couldn't see past the fact that I was a primary teacher and they couldn't see how those skills could maybe transfer into their role. Whereas it was really encouraging to see that Sky Betting and Gaming could see that and were willing to kind of take a chance on me being able to get through the, the boot camp and come to work for them eventually. Once they gave you the sponsorship, essentially, did you feel a certain degree of pressure to then live up to the expectation? Maybe a slight bit of pressure, but I feel like that was a huge motivator for me because it kind of gave me a way out of the job that I was really unhappy with. And also it gave me an opportunity to get into the industry that at that point was the industry that I was really keen to get into. So it was a huge motivation to feel like all the hard work and the effort and the exhaustion of working full time and doing the boot camp at night, that it was going to be worth it at the end. It was a really nice feeling. Yeah. You were less nervous and more excited, it sounds like. It really fueled you to put the hard work in, knowing that there's something waiting for you at the other end. I totally hear that, by the way, because I think, honestly, in today's modern age, there are plenty of coding resources out there, whether it's Code First Girls, Scrimber, could be traditional things like a bootcamp or uni as well. That's not really the issue. The issue is actually utilizing those resources, showing up consistently and staying motivated for a significant period of time, at least three months, but typically it's going to be six, nine, 12 months, something like that. You just can't quit. That's the only way you're going to fail is if you quit. But obviously real life gets in the way. Maybe you're balancing another job while learning to code, for example, and you just don't have the conviction to go all in. But having the job waiting for you at the end, that must be incredibly motivating. I feel lucky in a sense because I know how difficult it is for a lot of developers coming out the other end of boot camps and being self-taught and having to interview for lots of jobs and kind of develop a portfolio. And I guess I was lucky in that sense that there wasn't so much of the pressure for me to do that because they kind of based us coming on to work in the job on our kind of group project that we did and also the kind of assessments that we completed throughout the course. So there wasn't that pressure at the end when you finished the course to then go and prepare for interviews and go and practice kind of tech assessments and all that kind of stuff. So I really really liked the way that I was able to get into the tech industry, but I appreciate it's not always that straightforward for everyone. I wonder if you can speculate why companies invest in these kind of programs. They're obviously making an upfront investment in a candidate. I think when you're later in your career and you're at the senior level or something, maybe you get paid a lot of salary after you succeed at a job interview, but you're also generating a lot of value because you're bringing a wealth of experience and you can hit the ground running. I suppose as a junior developer and for someone listening, we know that we should be bringing value to the table and that's why we're paid a salary. But at the same time, when you're newer, there is that expectation that you're going to, you know, spend some time learning. Maybe if you've been practicing for a year and then you do an interview and you do this more conventional path that you described, you'll be a little bit more ready to contribute. But if you're really quite fresh coming out of a sort of three month program, 
there's probably going to be a bit a bit longer for you to ramp up and, and contribute. So I'm wondering if you can speculate how you think a company investing in a sponsorship like this sees out. So I guess for a lot of the companies investing, it's more of like a long-term benefit. In the long term, obviously, they're able to diversify their workforce and also bring in new ideas and things to the team. I guess I'm quite lucky in the sense that with Sky Betting and Gaming, they were they're really willing to allow me to continue to learn while I'm employed with them as a junior. So my time is kind of split between working with the team and also continuing my own development, which is amazing. I really enjoy having the time to do that and not kind of feeling guilty that you're not 100% contributing every single day to the team. And, you know, it takes off the pressure a bit of feeling like you need to be up to scratch and at the same level as as the rest of your teammates because it's not the case. Roughly about two days out of the week at the moment, I kind of spent on... I'm doing a course on Udemy at the moment, a React course. No, Jas, come to Scrimba. I know. <laughs> Bob's React course is the most highly acclaimed React course out there. You should check it out. But I'm, I'm so sorry. I just couldn't keep that to myself. <laughs> I will switch. I actually started it before I discovered Scrimba to my defense. So <laughs> but I will definitely check it out because I'm kind of bored with the one on Udemy, to be honest. I've diversified and just trying to work on my own projects at the moment. But yeah, I will definitely check out the Scrimba one. <laughs> By the way, how did you find that experience learning to code while also working your full-time job? I know a lot of people wonder if it can be done or if you should quit and focus full-time on learning. It was exhausting, <laughs> to be honest, but because I had that motivator of the job at the end, it, it kept me going. I'd say for the 14 weeks, I had no social life outside of like work or weekends because I felt like I was having to kind of play catch-up in the evenings and then at the weekend as well. The other girls in my group mostly didn't work full-time, so I felt like when it came to doing the group, project they were having a lot of time during the day while I was at work to kind of work on things and then we would have our meetings in the evening before the course and it always felt like I was kind of playing catch up I'd feel a bit stressed seeing all the messages come in while I was sitting in a classroom so I mean if you can afford to not work while you're learning to code you're going to learn faster and you're going to have more time to dedicate to it but I think as long as you're motivated and you're willing to give up for the short term maybe some of your free time and things outside of work then it's definitely doable but it can be tiring. You think you could have done it without the support of Code First Girls and your cohorts? I think I would struggle if I was like hats off to the people that can learn just by themselves, kind of following self-directed coding boot camps and coding resources. But I think I would have struggled to do that whilst working full time because I guess you've not got the same like pressure of actually logging on to do it for two hours every night. So yeah, I think having the community and having to show up for that call every single night really helped, I guess, you not to give up and to have those people to reach out to when you were struggling and having that kind of Slack community of being able to post questions and kind of reach out to others, I think really helped me get to the finish line. Self-motivating is really hard. It doesn't matter how determined you are, especially when you're learning to code over a long period of time and balancing other parts of your life because you're a whole person, not just someone learning to code 
it's really easy to kind of fade away a little bit, like your intensity fades away. I guess the really nice thing about having a cohort or a bootcamp or a coding buddy, accountability buddy, even a deadline, some kind of extrinsic motivator to kind of light a fire under your bum and sort of keep you on track. It won't last forever. If you feel like the pressure for months and months and months and months on end, I think that's a recipe for burnout probably, but it can be an incredibly effective way to stay on track in the short and medium term, I think. That's the thing. If you're doing a group project or you have that kind of group online that you reach out to, seeing them working towards the same goal can really help you kind of stay on track to reach your goal as well. But I think I would have struggled with the self-motivation if I hadn't had the Code for Skittles community for sure. Was there much variation in the ability level of people in the same group? Yeah, I think it was noticeable at times. And I guess a lot of people who did the course were maybe also straight out of university and maybe hadn't worked in like a professional setting before. So I think a lot of the differences you notice were more so like in soft skills, I guess, and being able to communicate with your group, being able to kind of answer out during the calls. Maybe that was where it was more noticeable rather than the technical ability. You know, it can always be awkward on like a Zoom call when the instructor, everyone's got their cameras off. (laughs) You don't know who's engaging and they're kind of looking for feedback on something they've said or looking for an answer. I think at that point it can kind of become obvious. Maybe people who haven't experienced that before can find it more challenging to to answer out and to engage. Whereas I feel for me, because most of my day was kind of speaking in front of people or speaking to groups or speaking to people. (laughs) I always felt like I had to fill the awkward silences so I was always that person that even if I didn't know the answer which most of the time I didn't I would just try and answer out just for the sake of trying to keep the awkwardness and to try and keep the I guess engaged with the instructors so it didn't just feel like they were speaking to no one. That's a really interesting example of something that transferred from your experience teaching to the coding world. Can you think of any other skills or experiences that are helping you as a developer? I think definitely communication, not being afraid to reach out and ask for help. I'm quite confident if I need help, obviously I'll try to work it out myself first, but I think I won't kind of sit and worry about, oh, who should I ask? Am I going to look silly or I don't have a clue if I ask this? I think being able to communicate with people and kind of build that rapport with people in your team, it makes it much easier because a lot of the time you are going to need help with stuff as a junior and you are going to need people to pair up with you and you are going to need people to kind of guide you to the answer. So I think being able to ask for help and knowing the questions that you need to ask for help, I think being able to word things in a way that makes sense or similarity in terms of what I had to do in teaching is what I'm now having to do to kind of explain problems in coding to get help. And dealing with pressure and stress as well, I guess. Plus responsibility. I mean, you're ultimately accountable for all of your students, just like you might be accountable for a project at work. I definitely find this job a lot less pressure and a lot more kind of calming, I guess. But I don't know if that's just unlucky that the company I work for are, are really good and everyone's really nice nice and helpful and there's not that kind of doom of pressure and deadlines at least for me at the moment anyway but just being able to chat to people and get help and not being afraid to ask for help but also showing that you're willing to learn I found are kind of key to to getting anywhere in this world. I think you're right that the expectation and the pressure and the deadlines and stuff is a bit less at the beginning 
But the whole reason you made this shift is to create a better work-life harmony. So I can imagine no matter what happens in the future, you're going to set the right boundaries and work hard to protect that balance, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. I think having come from a job where there's no work-life balance, like I'm so grateful that in this job, there really is a work-life balance. And at four or five o'clock, whenever you finish, you can shut the laptop. I mean, obviously, if you've been struggling with a bug or something, you might have that kind of light bulb moment sitting watching the TV at night and you maybe make a little note <laughs> to go back to. Has that, has that happened to you since you joined? It has, yeah, maybe once or twice, but I'm not sitting till nine, ten o'clock at night, like writing out code or like feeling the pressure. If I don't have this done for tomorrow, I'm going to be standing in front of a like group of kids with nothing to say. It's not the same pressure. It has pressures in itself of, I guess, I still feel a bit of an imposter in the industry at times I feel like I should be better and there's that kind of stress but in terms of work-life balance I feel the industry itself especially with sky betting gaming they do a lot of kind of incentives to improve your work-life balance and to take time away and make sure you take time for yourself so I've really appreciated that. Yeah I think a lot of tech companies are quite forward thinking about this for one reason or another often honestly it comes down to like an empathy your engineering manager might have been a developer before and they probably wouldn't have liked to work in that environment. So when they can influence the culture, that's what they can advocate for. And it is no secret that tech is a great industry to work in largely due to the fact that there is a greater demand for developers and software than there is currently developers to fulfill those roles. Now, there is some turbulence in the job market and the economy but it doesn't give you the whole picture. A lot of companies who who are trying to source developers, they have to be attractive for developers to work at. So essentially what we're describing are like perks of the job in a way. I do think that the pressure can creep up and the stress and things like that. But ultimately, it's kind of a bit of a mindset. It's a bit of the boundaries you set as well. Whereas other industries, other workspaces, uh, I think teaching and another example is like doctors and medicine in the UK as well under-resourced, under-appreciated, like there's no amount of mindset or boundary setting that's going to really help you there, is it? (laughs) Sadly not. And I think, I guess, coming from one of those industries, that's maybe why I'm a bit more strict with kind of setting boundaries. Not that I need to be, I guess, just having that mindset of striving to achieve a better work-life balance helps you also kind of having that in mind when you come to do your job and like giving your best in the hours that you're working, but also taking time to recharge because ultimately you need to do that in order to perform well at work you need to have that time for yourself and i think it's great that tech companies recognize that all right jess so i'm curious to learn a bit more about the specific work you're doing and how it's going but what do you say we do a round of quick fire questions first so our audience can get to know you a little bit better yeah sure that sounds good What is one learning resource that has been the most impactful for you? When I started off coding, I really loved programming with Mosh or Web Dev Simplified, both on YouTube. They kind of gave me the foundations, but also when I was looking for more specific resources, they were also great to kind of help me understand more complex problems and and CDs and things, which were great. What is your favorite technology to use at the moment? At the moment, I'm using React, and I would probably say that once I kind of fully get to grips with it, 
It's probably my favourite. I can see why so many people like it and why so many people say it's easy to use. I mean, I'm not quite at that point yet myself, but I can definitely see why people say that. Do you have your eyes on any other technologies that look interesting to learn next? Yeah, so I'd like to learn more about GraphQL. I've seen how people can kind of use it to communicate with the back end at my work and it looks pretty cool. I also recently did one of the Introduction to AWS courses and I want to continue to develop my knowledge of the cloud infrastructure structure and maybe set the certification at some point in the near future what music do you go to anything without lyrics so kind of lo-fi beats or anything that's not too distracting (laughs) did you ever listen to lo-fi beats when you were a teacher i didn't know but i think when you hear everyone kind of raving about it in the tech industry you feel like you need to listen to lo-fi beats (laughs) yeah exactly i feel like it's such a tech thing somehow i hadn't realized till i started asking these questions Is there anyone you look up to or follow up in the tech community we should know about? You already mentioned programming with Mosh and Web Dev Simplified, awesome YouTubers. Is there anybody else on LinkedIn, Twitter, something like that you follow? I've got an Instagram account myself. It's called Teacher to Coder and I follow a lot of great kind of female programmers on there. My favourite would probably be a girl called Catherine Gilligan. Her Instagram handles Sensation. She also came from like a non-tech background. I think she was a baker before. So she shares a lot of useful content online. I'm going to follow you on Instagram, Jess, but I've got a feeling I'm going to be trying to book podcast guests left, right and center as I realize all these fascinating and interesting <laughs> people and stories. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, that's it for the quickfire questions. Thank you so much. Since you mentioned Instagram, I'm kind of curious. What do you like about Instagram as a developer? We kind of levitate to Twitter or LinkedIn or GitHub or Stack Overflow. I mean, calling Stack Overflow a social platform is a bit of a stretch, but you probably see what I mean. I guess what kind of initially drew me to Instagram was initially following the Code First Girls Instagram page and they have a kind of group of women ambassadors so they kind of promote the courses and explain what it was like and I initially started following them when I was doing the course kind of hoping for some advice on doing the course and the application process and things like that and then what kind of inspired me to start my own Instagram was I'd actually been a member on a Facebook group like when I was teaching and it was called Life After Teaching so it was about people who had left the education industry and gone to get new jobs so there's literally people who go and do so many different things from like joining the police going to become like ministers like retraining as developers going to work in airlines so many different jobs so people tend to share I guess like their motivational stories of how they left teaching and what they've gone on to do and when I finally left in January this year I because I'd been a member for a while I kind of shared my journey and what I'd done and I couldn't believe I think there was like 600 people or something off the page that messaged me and commented and yeah it was crazy six zero zero yeah it's mad so like the post just took off and like so many people messaged me asking for advice like this is how many desperate teachers there are (laughs) looking for a way out so I decided to make the Instagram page teacher to coder and I thought it was a bit easier to like rather than sending like the same kind of advice to so many different people by message I was going to try and make posts that were useful on there and share content kind of based on what they were all asking me but yeah it was for about a week it was just constant messages from other teachers people looking to get out and interested in learning to code or interested in getting into the tech industry it was crazy 
Why are communities for ex-teachers flourishing? I guess it's just down to the state of education in the UK. I think they said they get, I don't know the exact number, I'd need to go back and check, but crazy amounts of requests of teachers looking to join that page every day. And it's sad. I mean, it's really heartbreaking to read some of the posts from like people who are really desperate to get out. But it's also uplifting, I guess, to see the posts from people that have got out. And it's really interesting to see the different kind of careers that they've gone into. And I think when they see a success story of someone who has left teaching especially to go into the tech industry because I feel like that's maybe an industry that's not really that familiar for a lot of teachers it's not something that they would have ever come across in their studies if they studied education so I think for them to see that it's kind of like shocking I guess because well you must have a background in tech well you must be really into computers well you must like have some previous experience and I think when I explain that actually I didn't have any of those things they're quite shocked and it also gives them the hope I guess that that opportunity could be out there for them too but recently someone reached out to me to say that they just joined one of the most recent Code for Skittles like introductory courses and I think they said when they did the introduction those courses tend to have I think about I don't know between 50 to 100 people but the majority of people on one of the recent cohorts were all teachers <laughs> who'd either seen my post on the page or had read the BBC article and were kind of inspired to join the, one of the courses and get started. Such a big impact you've had by sharing your story. I'm really happy you're here doing the same on the Scrimba podcast. I know there's a lot to take away already. Do you have any advice for a teacher who might be looking to learn to code. Just don't be scared to take the first step. Like I get a lot of messages from people saying, I'm worried that I can't do it. I'm worried that I'll find it too hard. And I guess my advice is you won't know until you try. I mean, coding certainly isn't for everyone. And there's just some people it doesn't click with. And some people who just maybe don't enjoy this that type of job being at a desk all day. And that's fine. But I think if you think it's something that you might be interested in, or even if you think it might be a role that can give you a better work-life balance, then there's no harm in going for it. And there's so many like amazing resources out there. I was kind of thrown into the tech industry before I had a chance to actually research like what was out there because I had the opportunity with the Code for Skills degree before I'd really even decided that that was what I wanted to do. So I feel like for me, I didn't have the chance to look into all these amazing resources. It was kind of afterwards that I've done that in reverse, I guess. But for someone looking to learn and for a teacher looking to learn, it's always worth having a go and even in the evening like try it for a couple hours every week and see if you enjoy it and then look to sign up for some of the free courses I guess and go from there. I think there's a lot of good reasons people become a teacher. Unfortunately there's less and less reasons to stay a teacher. One of the reasons I guess is if you like teaching you also like learning and like sharing information and I think the wonderful thing about coding is that you're always learning. You only get a title like junior developer when you're new, but every developer is always learning forever, right? There's just so much to learn. Things are evolving. I think that really gels well with a lot of people who care about education. My grandparents were teachers, friendly enough, and I think that helped me enjoy coding. And one of our teachers at Scrimba, Tom Chance, he was actually an English teacher before learning to code and then becoming a teacher on Scrimba, teaching others about development. So there's definitely something there. I always feel like when I get a bit more experience and I kind of develop my own skills, I'd love to be able to give back in some way, whether that's like being a tutor on like a boot camp or I guess just mentoring another junior and being able to use 
like the skills that I had as a teacher to, to I guess, help someone else get into the industry. You already are. Yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. Right. I guess at the moment, the knowledge that I can share in terms of like technical knowledge is kind of limited, but I can still share knowledge and how to get started and where to begin, I guess, which is still useful. So. And I think, honestly, learning to code is it's hard. It's always going to be a challenge, but you certainly don't want bad teachers to make it harder. And because of the way that learning to code online works, where, you know, people spread courses because of word of mouth, they leave thumbs up on YouTube and stuff. It kind of creates this kind of natural selection process, I feel like, where the standard for education and coding is very high at the moment. And there's a lot of great teachers available, maybe with different styles and pedagogies as well. Let's not forget that every student learns a little bit differently. For example, at Scrimba, we're very, very keen on getting students hands on because as another of our teachers, Bob Sorrell, sometimes says, if you want to get really good at tennis, you wouldn't expect to improve by watching Roger Federer play on television. You actually need to get your hands on the racket. And yet with so much of uh, YouTube and even books, sometimes they're, they're rooted in like a theory, which is nice to read. It's interesting, uh, but you just don't really retain that information. You only really sort of form the pathways in your brain to apply this knowledge when you retrieve stuff and you challenge yourself, whether that's testing or writing a code or solving a coding challenge. And so kind of making that part of the experience from the beginning is, is really what Scrim is all about because we have this interactive editor. And that's just an example of like a pedagogy, right? Other people may Maybe they want to do testing, like they want to do actual tests, for example, and they'll pursue certificates. Maybe that works better for them. But yeah, that's just a brilliant thing. There's something for everybody. Yeah, I wish I'd known about Scrimba when I was kind of at the beginning of my journey. Um, I'm definitely going to check it out now because a lot of the resources that you find, you're kind of following along and you think you're doing a really great job building this project. And only when you get to the end, you realize that you've not really taken in how to actually do it. You've just built it alongside like a color by numbers almost. <laughs> it's the perfect comparison from a previous primary school teacher. I love that. So yeah, I think until you actually get hands on and start like building your own projects. And I feel like I've been guilty of avoiding that at times because it feels like overwhelming to start something from scratch and not have like the building blocks. But yeah, you definitely need to dive headfirst at points and just get stuck in with actually building things to improve if you want to improve quickly. So how long ago did you start at Sky? So I started at Sky in January this year so mid-January I finished the Code First Girls degree in November so I had just a couple of months I finished teaching when they stopped for the Christmas holidays and then I had the break and started with January so that was nice. And when did you start learning to code? I would say I started learning to code probably about a year before so around the January last year I think I started the eight-week data and SQL course in February last year so I'd done a little bit of kind of YouTube tutorials before I started that um, the introductory course and then I started the degree in August till November so between the SQL course and starting the degree at that point was kind of when I realized I guess that I wasn't really interested in data and like I didn't really want to go down that route so between finishing the data and SQL course and starting the degree in August I was more kind of focusing my self-study on kind of web development JavaScript HTML CSS those kind of things Okay, so that's about, yeah, 10, 11 months, all told. That's really impressive. And now you've been at Sky for what, if you started in January and it's just turned literally 1st of June yesterday, 
How was your first week? Like, what was it like getting your first job in development? Was it what you expected? It was quite scary, to be honest. <laughs> I think I find most challenging is that my office isn't based in Leeds and I'm in Glasgow. So like my colleagues all live kind of local to Leeds, like Manchester. So not too far, like a commute to the office. So I think that was what kind of worried me was that I was going to be cut off, I guess, or like a bit isolated with working almost fully remote. But I think once you get into the swing of things and you realise that even people that do go into the office use Slack and Zoom as the kind of main form of communication, it helped kind of put my mind at ease a bit. But I think the setup of the laptop and like when you realise like all the software you need to download, like all the kind of setup keys that you need to put in, it was a bit overwhelming. But I think having that support of, I was kind of buddied up with another girl in my team and having that support and someone you could go to for, for questions was good. And how have things been going since? she got started i mean it must be such a big milestone if you've if you've happened to experience that yet where some of your code is like running on the actual infrastructure app website whatever it happens to be you're working on yeah so i have deployed some code to our live site which is really exciting only small changes at the moment but i finally did my first kind of full release from like test to staging to live with no kind of help at that point so that was a kind of big milestone for me that i remembered <laughs> it's quite a long and complicated process so I was quite glad to, to finally be able to tick that one off my list but it's definitely slow progress I feel for me the biggest kind of learning curve I guess is going from working on like small projects with a small code base to like all of a sudden being in this absolutely huge complex code base like I think most of my time at the moment is spent trying to navigate around it and trying to find and learn like the best ways to find a component or to find where to edit the CSS for this it's like I guess it takes a while to learn all the tips and tricks on how to navigate quickly around that's what real programming is you read a lot more than you write it's uh something that's hard to appreciate when you're learning because everything is so basically contrived or short often these uh, code bases when you join a company are many years if not a decade old at some points where many people have uh, put their hands to it and yeah you've got to read all that code to make even a small change i think that's like the biggest thing for me is just trying to find my way around at the moment but it's been good like I've got to work on some smaller tickets and also I guess just pairing up with other developers and the team to kind of watch what they do and the kind of steps that they would take it's been really useful as well and also I guess having my time to still learn has been great that's really cool and I really appreciate it really appreciate you coming on the show Jess to tell us a bit more about your journey from primary school teacher to developer it's been a pleasure getting to know you and learning your advice and experience yeah thank you for having me on it's been really fun chatting to you and learning about scrimba as well that was the scrimba podcast episode 121 if you made it this far please subscribe and if this is the first episode of the scrimba podcast you've ever listened to this basically means there's 120 great episodes for you in our backlog this is a weekly show where one week we talk to a recently hired new developer and the other week we talk to an industry expert so you get to learn from both sides. Check out the show notes for the resources mentioned in this episode and the ways you can connect with Jess. You'll also find Alex's Twitter handle there if you want to tweet at him directly. If you'd like a shout out on the show, you can also join the conversation on Twitter. As I said, as long as you write a tweet containing the words Scrimba and podcast, we'll see it. I've been Jan, the producer, and we'll be back with you next week.